All right. Good morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together to study your word and teaching us always to trust in you and your son's saving work who rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us to his kingdom of light. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Okay. Everybody have a handout? There's, I think there's maybe one more over on the chair. There. Oh, no, there's three more. Okay. So let's start with uh, a review of last week. What happened last week? I, you, you don't like it when I do this, do you? Okay. <laughs> it's for me. This it's, 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 uh, is for my edification. Well, uh, how about this? Let me if I, maybe if I refresh what happened in the story last week. So let's see here. We ha- That's right. She, she, yeah. That's right. She wanted everything. Yeah. Right. Um. Let's see, and she's, she's, writing on, she's writing her blog now, mm-hmm. okay? And what's, uh, what's, sort of, what's going on with her blogging? How, how are things going with that? Well, she was about ready to give it up, actually. Yeah. <laughs> she finally trashed that idea and decided to just lay out her, her issues. Okay, right. Yeah, she, and, and the people that she's writing with are very responsive, right? She's, she finds... Um, she finds the conversation she's having with them to be very helpful, uh, which, which, you know, surprised me at first because I, I, the, the first place I would go, uh, I, I wouldn't go to the anonymous, you know, sort of internet where maybe, maybe the guy's name isn't Robert K or whatever it is, you know. But, uh, but it ends up being very fruitful for her, and, um, and these people seem to have a lot of goodwill. So that, she did, I'll call it some research. Before That's right. She pan-picked her blog readers. Right. The ones that do not rely on IQ. Yeah, right, exactly. Which, now, hang on to that. We, we've had this come up a couple times, this, this question about experience. Because right, the first time we heard it was on the plane with her soon-to-be husband. He said, when I was baptized, I had this experience. And then he brought it up again. Was it in this week's reading or last week's reading? This week's? He talks again about that, that feeling. Right, right. It lasted for a while. He hasn't felt it, but he knows that that ex- he hasn't felt it for a while, but he knows that that experience was real. And she even starts to talk this way. Um, we'll get to this, but she uses the word. She, she talks about sensing God. How she's she's looking very hard. She's seeking, but she but there's some obstacle which is keeping her from sensing God. So we'll talk about that a little bit um, as we go on. <laughs> well, and that, and that's also a very uh, a very good point too. She says at one at one point. Um, oh, she I, I wrote it down here on, the, on my handout. The middle quotation there from her. So let's see. It's under Psalm 13 and Psalm 89. Above what is missing. There's a middle paragraph that begins. Maybe maybe you could absorb data under any circumstances. So she's talking about gaining this intellectual knowledge, right? 
Maybe you can absorb data under any circumstances, but to attain wisdom, you would have to be in the proper position lifestyle-wise, and it probably wouldn't be comfortable. And this is, I mean, this is uh, uh, in some ways a stark reality when, um, when we think that we can, that, that, that all the arguments are lining up, so why doesn't this person believe? I have, all the, I have the answer to all of their arguments. Why don't they believe? Um, well, there's something more. There's some, it's not just about saying, yes, God exists, and, and yes, I believe that what the Bible uh, recounts about this, about this person is true, but it's some, there's something else going on, too, right? Um, and, she, and she gets at that in this, in, in this week's readings. Okay, any questions, any uh, comments from, less, from last week? Anything else? Yeah, right. That's that now that's the first this is it's a great segue. So you're taking us into the first chapter of this week. Very well done, Carol. So the so chapter 18 is about their trip to church. Go ahead, continue. Right. Hippolytus of Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And the priest said it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just at, just at face value, that kind of historical continuity is remarkable, right? So that you can, and, and she describes this in, in very simple terms, right? So she realizes that she's sitting in the pew observing the very same things that somebody, a, a woman in her position 2,000 years ago would have, would have observed and participated in, which is striking, and you know we miss this a little bit uh, or quite a bit in America. I, I think if you go, if you so the oldest things in America that you might see maybe 1700s, maybe 1600s, right? Yeah, around here there. I, don't, I mean, there are no buildings that predate the 19th century around here. I don't think, maybe the 18th century. Uh, but if you go, if you go over to Europe, of course, and you go see like the the cathedral in Cologne, which was built in 800. And it's and it's standing, it's still standing there, right? <laughs> and and you say, well, you know, there is some historical continuity that is beyond my comprehension, right? This is this is generations and generations more than I can imagine, um, and that and that is striking. But what does that tell you? I mean, so how does that how does that help her? What does that do for her? It says that this hasn't changed. Right. There's continuity. She can trust in the, you know, she can think about trusting in this. Because it hasn't changed. Right. It's not something that somebody just made up now. Lindsay. I was going to say it connects her, it makes that, um, the very beginning of the story seem not so late. That's good. I hadn't thought of that, the, the connection with like her, her thoughts about her ancestors. Right. Yeah. So now, she's, now she, she's getting the sense of community, which in a way is replacing um, the community that she clung to before. Uh, which she realized disappeared. You know, that community is just sort of in her imagination. But now here she has this thing, this, act, this thing which connects her, or which, which could connect her, which is real and tangible. So she can, um, you know, and, and, if, and if, if she gets to the point about, of talking about eternity, about how it's not just with, with, uh, with the folks who lived 2,000 years ago, but with all the saints and the angels and the archangels, then it takes on a whole new dimension, right? It's a, it's a whole different kind of a thing. 
Good. Okay. Donna. Last week, um, Joe brought up the um, idea of whether or not the Bible was authoritative. Right. Um, and then he said, uh, and I didn't quite get this, if the Bible doesn't provide an infallible index, we can't know what's inspired. What does he mean? Do you know where he said that? Uh, page 112. 112. Let's take a look. Did you talk? You talked about the Bible last week a bit, didn't you? Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. 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 So now here. Okay, this is great. So they're talking about. Now this is a big question that we'll have to engage a little bit more as we go along. So right, the the basic question is, um, what is our What is the authority? Right. What is the authority for? the Christian faith, okay? Um, and now the presupposition that they encounter in the Catholic Church is that it's the church, the church is the authority, right? And the argument, the argument that Joe is reading here, let's see, on the screen, see that, those italic, italicized words in the middle? The Bible nowhere claims for itself that it is authoritative. Also, the issue of canon, which books to include. If the Bible doesn't provide an infallible index, we can't know what's inspired. Okay? So Joe's reading this comment from this, this Catholic fellow, um, and the argument that he's making is, the, is sort of the Roman Catholic argument for the church's uh, a position above the Bible, in a sense. Although they wouldn't put it that, they wouldn't put it that crassly, in a way. But he's also uh, questioning the Bible. I mean, the authoritativeness of the Bible, and then there's the authoritativeness of the church. Right. So... So Joe, um, having grown up Protestant, has always assumed that the Bible is authoritative above the church. And the Roman Catholic Church, in a sense, says the church is authoritative above the Bible. The final authority is what the church says, and the church, in this case, is represented by the Pope in particular, right? So Joe says, Joe holds this position, and so this is why, you know, he says, well, this guy's Catholic, isn't he, right? Because he assumes the Bible is authoritative. The italicized words there are what he's reading on the screen. Okay, so this is what the other fellow is making, saying. Does that, does that make sense? Does this, big, does this question make sense? The, and this is, a, this is a, a historical debate that goes back to the Reformation. So the, um, this was a question that, that Luther dealt with quite a bit. Um, what is the criteria? What are the criteria that we use to measure the things that we say about the faith? Okay, where do we get our doctrine from? And go ahead, Donna. I just wonder if they ever get that question settled. <laughs> well, they do. Now they do, and this is this is why we'll have to talk about it because um, they end up they end up joining the Roman Catholic Church, right? Okay. So now I know Pastor Nelson's interested in talking about this, so I won't spoil it for him. Um, but the answer is not as simple. It's not as straightforward as you might think. Okay. It's not a. It's not an either or, either the church or the Bible, right? That's a false dichotomy. It's about Jesus. Okay, so maybe it is a simple answer, but go ahead, Marilyn. So when you're ordained, you don't just say you're going to the Bible. You have I talk about the confessions. That's right. Yeah. Which now it gets, and this is why it's so complex. The, okay, the, the question is very complex because the confessions claim to be a true and faithful exposition of the scriptures. So they don't claim to be anything other than the scriptures. You know, the Lutheran confessions are the writings that came out of the Reformation, which sort of defined the Lutheran Church over against Roman Catholic Church. Although, ah, it gets complicated because the confessions also say the Lutherans, the Reformed, uh, the, the Reformation faith is in continuity with the early church, right? So they say, no, we're not changing anything. We're going back to what 
we're going back to what, uh, what, what's, al what's always been taught. The Roman Catholic Church is what has sort of gone astray. Um, in any case, uh, it's, it's a tricky question because this fellow makes, makes a, an important argument. How do we have the Bible? How do we know what texts we should read if we don't have somebody to tell us what they are, right? So, um, I mean, if I, left my, if I left my Bible sitting out on the street, chances are pretty slim that anybody who doesn't have any exposure to uh, the Christian faith would pick it up and read it and understand it and, and know that, that this is authoritative, right? Um, in, in, a, in a very practical sense, somebody, sort of ha somebody has to tell him. And even if nobody's there to tell him, he can see, well, it's a bound book. It must be important, and it says the Holy Bible on it, right? So somebody's telling him something about it. But it's a tricky question because um, at the same time, uh, if, we, if we put people, if we say that people are authoritative over the Bible, that some man's word uh, can supersede Jesus' word, then we're in a whole other mess, right? Okay. And then we have to consider all the translations. <sighs> I'm going to let Pastor Nelson consider the, that. <laughs> I'll tell him that you raised the question, though, because I think that he's interested in talking about it. Uh, you see, she said you have to consider all the translations then, too, right? Um, yeah. Let's, uh, so <laughs> I could talk about this for a long time, too, um, but I, I, I'm not prepared to talk about it in a clear way. So I don't want to make things more confusing than, than uh, they need to be. So let's, let's hang on to that, and I'll, I'll pass the message along to Pastor Nelson. Okay. So chapter 18, um, they go to church. And we have this experience where Joe is following along. They, they understand that the, there's, there's con continuity. Um, any any uh, thoughts, anything stand out to you about that chapter? Anything you want to, anything else, Jan? Well, I, that, the whole humor in the thing that the atheist detective didn't show up. That's right. That's right. 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 Now, and it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a tangential thing, but it's it's very important for us to keep in mind, right? What is the experience that somebody has when one they consider themselves to be an atheist, and two they've never they they don't know how this works at all, right? So you can you can get a sense for that. We may think, oh, it's, of course we don't care what you whether you cross yourself or you bow or you know, we may think that to ourselves, but it's very uncomfortable. It's a very difficult thing for somebody to walk, just to walk in and become, and, and they assume, I mean, you feel obviously like everybody's looking at you, everybody's wondering what you're doing, why you're behaving the way you're behaving. So it's, so it's good to reflect on that, and it's an opportunity for us to sort of try and disarm those kind of uh, apprehensions to, to temper that, that potential for shame. Marilyn. I didn't, I read till last minute. Okay. Okay. Religious education, RCIA, the right of catechism initiation. It's the it's the it's the Roman Catholic equivalent of the catechumenate. RCIA, um, NFP. That's now that's there you go. <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Okay, does that help? <laughs> um, I, I wish I could remember what the RCIA stands for, but it's basically it's basically the kit. Didn't you say you're Christian initiation for adults? 
Okay. And then RCIC is right for children. Great. Perfect. Thank you very much. Okay. Anything else about, about this chapter? Chapter 19, then, uh, they go to the cemetery. And I thought this was a really, I think that so far this is my, these are my favorite three chapters in the book. They, some of the things she writes are really, uh, really potent. So what happens at the cemetery? Yeah. Yeah. And what does that do to her? Right, right. But not really. How so? Different experience. Yeah, yeah. She, and what, uh, what? She said herself it's one because she's a mother. Mm-hmm. But it's more realizing <coughs> if you were living in those times that you come to grips with and have to live with. Yeah. It's kind of it's it's an interesting observation, isn't it? That and I don't is it in this chapter where she realizes I've been looking for happiness mm-hmm. in keeping myself busy and doing this and doing that. Yeah. And realizing that wouldn't work back then. Right. I, as a matter of fact, I want so this first quotation that I have on the page, the knowledge hit me with the same freight train. I, I the whole page, all of page one hundred twenty-seven, I thought was was really good. So I and I want to just read it to you just sort of to give you a second shot at, at hearing it. And then there are some things that we should talk about here. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do it that way. I'll read it this to you, and then, then I have some things to flesh out. The knowledge hit me with the same freight train force as my realization at the creek when I was a child. What troubled me this time wasn't the awareness of human mortality itself, but the awareness that it's possible to lose it all. I suddenly understood with burning clarity that my entire sense of well-being was as fragile as an empty eggshell. My whole approach to life only worked because I happened to be a 21st century American. If I were to be tossed into a time machine and thrown out into 1850, I'd find myself utterly unable to cope with the suffering and toil that my ancestors experienced. My current strategy of seeking happiness in comforts and amusements would be impotent against the knowledge that any year could be the year I'd lose a child. I could see how a moment like this might lead a person to run off to a cave to spend the rest of his life meditating on divine truths. To realize that nothing, absolutely nothing, in this world will last is to realize that seeking the transcendent is the most important thing you could do with your life. But that was the problem. I had been seeking the transcendent. I'd read lots of books about God. I'd even prayed once or twice. And despite all that, I had gotten only silence from the cosmos in return. I may have made an academic decision that there was probably some kind of spiritual realm, but that offered little comfort now that I found myself surrounded by tombstones with kids' names on them. I wasn't even positive that I believed in God, but I was already angry with him. So this is how it is, I railed in a prayer, once again half suspecting that I was talking to myself. You sit there and do nothing, and we're supposed to just take your word for it that you exist. You let all these terrible things happen to people and then don't even offer us any comfort in the face of it. Maybe my plan of rooting my happiness in the material world was a great idea after all. Sure, it depended entirely on a steady flow of money and perfect health for Joe and me and everyone we loved. It meant blocking out entire categories of the human experience, living under a willful delusion that everything I enjoyed in this life would last. But at least it worked. 
it did bring me some peace, even if it was fleeting. Now, I, I mean, this is sort of an incredible chain of thoughts, I think. Right? So she comes to this realization, and she, she offers this prayer, um, which is, I think, a very striking prayer for a lot of reasons. Um, well, first of all, what are, your, what are your impressions? What are your thoughts? Anything, uh, any comments or questions about this section? Anything stand out to you? Go ahead, Marilyn. Um, one of the things that really made me pause is she was so upset over the death of all these little children, but yet she was pro-abortion. Right. <laughs> she, was, she and Joe got in this huge argument, and, yeah. and he wanted to talk about it, what is the Catholic view of abortion, and she wouldn't even listen to that. Yeah. She grieved for these children. Right. Right, absolutely. And so we get a sense there, I think, of what she's probably going to realize later about how, the obstacles that she has in place, right? So the, 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 the fact that she is, at least about some things, uh, arrogant or prideful, right? The things that she believes, um, that's, those are obstacles that need to be sort of removed, yeah. Nancy, did you have a comment? I was just going to say, I think we've all, haven't we all sometime or other thought, why God do you let such horrible things happen? Right. I mean, it's something we all grapple with. I mean, and so that's not really something, can I say blocking her faith? Because it's just a reality. Perfect. Thank you so much for, uh, this is great. This is playing exactly into my plan. Okay, say it again. Say it a little bit louder. Just that we've all... No, 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 the very last sentence. Oh, that this really isn't something blocking her faith. Oh, okay. It's something we all have to, you know, I heard block on her faith. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so um, I want to talk a little bit. So what struck me right away about this is how, uh, the, especially the italicized portion there, just how like David in the Psalms uh, she sounds. And so I, I came up with a couple examples, and I want to just sort of explore these a little bit. Flip the page over, and there I have for you. Now, the numbering is different because the Greeks, the Greek... Uh, Book of Psalms is numbered different than the Hebrew Book of Psalms, and this one's a translation from the Hebrew Book of Psalms. So Psalm 12 would be Psalm 13 in your Bibles. But listen to what, listen to what David says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face? How long must I bear grief in my soul, this sorrow in my heart day and night? How long shall my enemy prevail? Look at me, answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, lest I fall asleep in death lest my enemies say I've overcome him, lest my foes rejoice to see my fall. As for me, I trust in your merciful love. Let my heart rejoice in your saving help. Let me sing to the Lord for his goodness to me, singing psalms to the name of the Lord Most High. Okay, so now there are right away some things that are the same about this psalm and the prayer she says. So what are they? What are the similarities? Yeah. When you're asking and asking and asking. That's right. Right. And it's quite forward about it, right? So four times David says, how long? How long? How long? How long? And then he's, and then, I mean, we, this is, the reason I gave you this translation is because the ESV kind of tempers it down a little bit. But look at me. Answer me. Okay? He's, he's demanding of God. These are commands. Answer me. Okay? Good. And, and that's kind of, that's, I mean, that sounds exactly what, like what she's doing here. Um, She's, she's demanding an answer from God. Okay, good. What else? Are there any other similarities? Carol. Not 
OK, let's go for it. What's the big difference? After ranting and raving at God, yeah. he says, but for me, I'll trust in the year. Right, OK. So now this is where it gets, it gets a little complicated because you say, well, you know, she might be able to, to lament like David, but how could she possibly you know, say, say these things at the end? How could she express this confidence in God's steadfast love when she's never experienced it, right? Now, the, I think that the notable thing is, if you consider the circumstances when David is saying this psalm, right? So if he is if he's earnestly saying, making this appeal to God, how long, how long, how long, answer me, look at me, it's not in the course of that prayer that he gets an answer, right? So when he says, as for me, I trust in your merciful love, it's not because God has, uh, you know, flipped on the switch and gave him, a, gave him the answer, okay? It's because he's, a, he's confessing something that he is finding difficult to believe, right? He's, he's saying these words even though they're difficult to believe. Even though it seems like God isn't there, even, like, even though God isn't remembering him, isn't remembering his, his steadfast love, David is saying the words anyways. So, um, so first of all, I think the situation is actually not, not all that different. Um, it, but also, as a, as a note for your, own, for your own reference, it's very valuable to, to keep these psalms in mind, for, especially for those times when you, can't, when, you, when you wouldn't be able to say this on your own, when you, when you wouldn't be able to say, as for me, I trust in your merciful love. Right? David couldn't have said it without the Holy Spirit. Neither can we, and so that's why we have these, we, these psalms before us. Okay. Um, was it, Katie, did you raise your hand? No? Okay. Um, now, is there any way that, that Jennifer could um, have some experience of God's merciful love, of his steadfast love, of his goodwill toward her? Experience it or recognize it? Either, either one. Donna. Right. Right. I mean, the fact that she's got Donna. Yeah. She enjoys being a mother and never thought she would. Right. Right. Donna? Well, I was just uh, thinking uh, when I was reading what she said, this, she probably wrote this after something after this experience, and she um, uses the words, I had it. I made an academic decision that there was probably some kind of spiritual realm. Right. So maybe she was not able to. You were asked, what was the question? Whether, whether she would have any, any, any recognition or acknowledgement that God was merciful in some way to her. I, but I think, I think okay, so um, I think that the fact that she has Donald is a great example, and, you know, that she has good things in life, right? Um, if, if she holds the position that, that the way life is arranged is just sort of random firings of neurons and chemical reactions, then she has absolutely no reason to expect good things, right? But there are good things in her life. She has things to be thankful for. Um, and so, you know, in that sense, it might, lead you to, it, might, it might lead her at least to ask, well, why do I have, why do I have some good things? Why, why does God, you know, care for me at least in this way? Um, there's another psalm that I wanted to bring to your attention because it's a little bit different. It sounds a little bit different than Psalm 13. Um, it's Psalm 89. It's longer, so I didn't print it out. But let me just read 
a little bit of it to you. It begins this way. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens and you will establish your faithfulness. Okay, so it's, it's, it begins with a confession about God's steadfast love. But then it ends um, with, with, a, uh, with a lament in the face of some tragedy. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? So the, the psalm ends with, with this kind of lament. All right? And what I want to illustrate with that is not, not so much anymore the parallels between what Jennifer is saying and what the, what the psalmist is writing, but very simply the fact that this is a Christian way to pray. All right? what, she, what she's praying, what the psalmist is praying, being, being frank with God, complaining to God, demanding of God, um, that's a Christian way to pray. All right? uh, now, we as Christians do it in view of the fact that God has promised us certain things. Right? He's promised to care for us. Um, and, but, as I said before, it's not always easy to believe that. It's in, fact, in fact, it's very diff- difficult to believe that at times, right? Which is why uh, calling to mind the words of the Psalms is so valuable because it puts in our mouths the words that we need to believe, that we need to hear, that we need to confess, right? Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, so I commend that to you in, the case, in cases where um, you feel like you can't, you can't ask anything of God, or you can't, um, you can't be angry at God, right? Psalmist sounds pretty angry at God. Look at me, answer me. Why, why aren't you answering me? You've abandoned your covenant. I mean, that's a pretty hefty accusation, right? God who is always faithful. You've abandoned your covenant, right? Um, well, sometimes it seems that way. And so he, he calls on God to be faithful. All right? Any questions, comments there? Lindsay. It's it, now you have to be. It's it. It's not blasphemy. Um, when it's done in faith, right? When it's done. Um, so like, like David says in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Jesus prays this on the cross when he is utterly forsaken by God. Um, it, so in some sense, it's a rhetorical thing because you're saying, because in your more faithful moments, when you, when you are relying on the promises of God, you know that he would never forsake you, right? Um, but in this case, what you're, what you're saying is, uh, God, it's, it seems like what you've said and what you're doing don't, don't coincide. And that's not blasphemy because it's true. It's just right, right. But it sounds yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it sounds accusatory. I mean, but, it, I, I, you know. I think it just shows our lack of understanding. And, and we realize that we don't understand. 
Right. So we're trying to come to grips with how we think and how God thinks and trying to put the two of them together and, you know, they're not the same. Right. Yeah, um, the, the, the key, I think, is, is that, the, that the accusations aren't, um, the, they aren't the final word, right? right? Um, so if you, if you say to God, you've abandoned me, forget about you, right? That's different than saying to God, no, you said you were going to do this and you're not doing it, do it, Right? Which is, which is how God wants us to, to talk to him, in a sense. Um, he wants us to hold him to his promises. That's why we recite, we recite his promises all the time. That's why, um, you know, one way to understand the, word, the, the language of the, the consecration of the, the bread and the wine, as often as, you do, uh, do this in remembrance of me, one way that, one very legitimate way to understand that is not just so that we remember, but so that God remembers the sacrifice of Jesus, right? So you're saying to God, remember what, remember how much you gave up for me, right? Um, and and he does, so he does want us to address him that way, but it's not, it's not the, it's not the, it's not with a, a turning away, but it's a turning towards God. Was there, uh, Marilyn, was there another? Well, I wrote but you already said, okay. he's not turning his back on God, he's going to him. Right. Right, right, right. Which is, I mean, and, and we, do, we see that in Jennifer, too, right? So um, C.S. Lewis would talk about it this way. He'd say, well, if you are, if you are um, worried about the fact that, worried about whether or not you're, you have faith, worried about whether or not you believe in God, um, then you already, you already have faith, right? Because you're turning towards God. You're concerned about your relationship with God. Um, and it's a, it's a similar thing. So if you have, if you if you're in a position where you are um, demanding of God that He fulfill His promises, then then you're being faithful. Okay. Whew. Any other questions here? Let's 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 proceed then. Um, we talked about this a little bit already, so maybe we'll uh, th- this bit about. Um, she has this academic understanding, but to attain wisdom, um, you would have to be in the proper position. And uh, I think maybe we'll hold off on that question about what's missing, what's the prerequisite to sensing God. We'll see that later, I think, um, when she, I think she'll tell us what it was, what the obstacles were that she needed to, needed to get out of the way. But I really want to talk about um, this bit that comes at the end of the third chapter, of chapter 20. They have this deposition, right? With this, with this terrible, terrible man who's uh, a con artist, and she comes to the realization that he's not just lying, but that he actually believes his lies, right? Which is a, that's a very, um, that's a, a very dangerous person, right? Because they're very compelling, <laughs> okay? So now at the end of the chapter, she says, this, this is her realization. She's all flustered. She has to leave the deposition, and she says this. I got the quotation for you on, on the page there. In that instant, my good person armor fizzled away like droplets on a hot stove, and I was left exposed against the awareness that there was no ontological difference between me and the genocidal Hoodoos or the Nazis or the slaveholders. The difference between me and them was merely the difference between truth and lies. 
Whether or not any one of us is a good person or a bad person can fluctuate from day to day, from moment to moment, depending on the number of lies we allow ourselves to believe. I felt vulnerable standing in the empty parking lot, suddenly aware that evil was closer to me, had always been closer to me than I had ever understood. So this is a, a, a central realization for her, realizing that she is uh, she, she's not... For one thing, she's not all good, and that she at times could be as wicked as the most wicked person. It's fitting that we have this today, today Reformation Day. Um, Luther, one of the central texts for Luther in Romans is is in Romans. Um, Let me just read for you some parts of this here. Romans three twenty one to twenty six. He says this, Paul does. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, you probably know this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So she's coming to this realization that uh, that Paul is telling us about here, right? That, that all are sinful, all are guilty of wickedness. Now, this sheds some light then on some of her earlier questions about um, the problem of evil, right? The problem of evil in the world. So I want to talk about this a, a bit. First, do you have any questions or comments at this point? I want to make sure we, I don't monopolize the discussion. So we, we kind of have to sort out... Um, the question that she dealt with earlier, uh, the question, remember when she was faced with uh, the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina, Katrina and Pat Robertson um, said these people are being punished for their sins, right? We kind of left that unsettled, and I think we have, have a good opportunity here to, to, to deal with the question. So one of the, the, the first thing that she, that, that she realizes which sort of helps her reconcile this is she recognizes that she is not innocent, right? She's not an innocent person. Um, and if she took the next step, she probably, could, she probably would realize that, that nobody is innocent, right? That, that all people are guilty. Holly. I, I think that's a huge leap for her. Uh, and I don't even know if all Christians do that. Right. Let alone people who used to be atheists, you know, because she led a pretty moral, right. ethical life. Right. And you're you're also so it's an important observation to make that that Christians that Christians don't always fully realize this, and it's and in fact it's it's one of the the fundamental truths of Christianity that we can't recognize our full sinfulness, right? Psalmist David David says, um, "Who knows who knows all his faults, right? Who knows just how how sinful he is? What all of the things that he's done wrong?" So. Um, we, always, we have a habit uh, of sort of always holding in our, our minds the things that justify us, the things that, that we think make us, qualify us to be good people. Um, and, and part of being a Christian is realizing, is, is learning more and more just how, how sinful we are and how much we need God's grace. Right? That's, that's what it means, in a sense, to, to lead a life of repentance, to always be, be recognizing that we don't do the good, that we, do the, that we prefer the evil. Okay. 
But I want to, I want to um, with that in mind, I want to just engage this question about um, the problem of evil. I wrote down, so the, the, it's under this heading, sorting out theodicy. The question, the question is often called the question of theodicy, which, which comes from uh, the Greek for, it, it means justifying God. So the question is, how can God be God when there's evil in the world, right? Or when people are allowed to suffer seemingly in innocence, okay? Um, so I wanted to, uh, to, to do this. This sort of relies on class participation. Um, what are the ways that this, this question troubles us? What are the ways that this is articulated? Nancy, you already mentioned uh, one way earlier. You said something about suffering. Yeah, okay. Right. Okay, so seemingly innocent people suffer. What are other ways that this, that this problem, this, um, that this problem shows itself? Nancy. We don't all have equal opportunities. Yeah, right. Uh, so this is, and this is where it gets really tricky. Why? Um, you, you now, opportunities, you mean opportunities to believe or opportunities just generally speaking? Yeah, why are some more blessed than others, right? And it gets really uh, frustrating when you read in the Bible that uh, what God, God causes it to rain on both the, the good and the evil, right? Well, that's a bummer. Um, so what else? What other, what other ways? Marilyn. Yeah. People, not because they were so bad, but they didn't learn from their parents about God, and I did. Right. Why do Why do I believe while others don't? Why 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 does God give me faith while others don't? I felt, I felt chosen. Yeah. Okay. Penny. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Right. And and um. At least you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Why Why did Why why do the evil prosper? Why doesn't God just destroy them? Right? David says this all the time. When are you going to step up and get rid of the, uh, the evil ones? Okay. Anything else? So, these are often raised as objections to Christianity. Um, and, and we saw that she was raising these objections. She says it just doesn't make sense. These things don't line up. And what's, what can be very helpful, I think, is to be careful in how we, parse, how, we, how we parse these out, how we deconstruct them. So they're not all the same question. But if you treat them as all the same question, you, you, run, into, you run into trouble because you try and give a pat answer. It's not going to work. Okay. I want to start with this one. Why do evil people prosper? Why doesn't God destroy the wicked? Okay. We get a sense of this in Romans chapter 3. It, it, and this is, I think, a very helpful answer um, to the question. Uh, Romans chapter 3, what I was just reading, it continues with this. Uh, he's talking about how Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sins, right? To, to, to be the sacrifice for our sins. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. 
All right. So what we what we what we see in that passage is that God's orientation towards evil, right, in time, evil in this world, is not delivering full justice, not delivering full condemnation, right, not leveling the world, and it's because of mercy, right. He's merciful. Um, to the world, and in particular, he's merciful to us. Because what would happen if God destroyed evil? We would get, we'd get taken out with it, right? Um, it's not until, until the final day that we are glorified and, and purified, right? Um, and made sinless. Uh, so, in that sense, what we have in this world is a situation that's, that, that feels very chaotic. Um, because... What you do, whether good or evil, doesn't doesn't always have a direct doesn't have always have direct consequences on your prosperity, whether life goes good well for you or not. But if you instead of framing it in terms of why doesn't God destroy the evil, you say, Why has God spared me? Right? Then you then you might actually end up in a position um, like Jennifer is where you can say, Well, you know, these all of these things that are going well for me are God's mercies because I'm because it's evident that I don't deserve anything, right? Okay? So, this is, this is the question of why, why is there evil in the world? How can, how can an all-good God permit evil to exist in the world? Well, it's because the all-good God is merciful, right? He, he's, he has forbearance. He's patient. Krista? But is it not sometimes judgment? Okay. That's a great question. So, when God, and here... Um, Maybe I'll write it this way. Does God punish punish sin in the world? And what's the answer? No, but we might not see it. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah, we have oh, we have numerous biblical examples of God punishing sin with temporal consequences. Holly? It does, doesn't it? Well, it's also New New Testament. Um, Jerusalem was destroyed. The example which always gets me, I'm just like, why does this have to be in the Bible? Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, all they, all they did <laughs> was sell their field and not give the whole thing. I mean, they lied about it. That was it. They, they, they lied to the Holy Spirit, right? They dropped it. Bam. Okay? So, God does punish sin in the world. The, the trouble with us is two things. One, we don't have all the facts. So when Pat Robertson says it's because of those sinners in New Orleans that uh, they all they all died, well, he doesn't he doesn't know all of the facts, right? Um, this is why Jesus says when the tower fell, are they were they worse sinners than than you, right? No, from our as far as we know, we're all in the same boat. We all have the same reasons to be punished. Okay, so we don't have all the facts, and the the, the second reason why why when we ask this question, we're often sort of asking the wrong question. It's because um, we're, we're terrible at making judgments about who deserves to be punished, right? So um, we don't know that we, I mean, we ought, we ought to know this about ourselves, but we, we fail to recognize it, that things that we think are evil um, aren't, aren't always for evil, evil ends. They don't always end in evil. And things that we think are good are often quite the opposite, right? So we're terrible at making these judgments. Um, so, this is, this fits in the realm of what we would call the hidden will of God, 
which is a, which is a frustrating thing that God hides his will from us. Um, and in the face of that, that hidden will of God, where he, where he on earth punishes sin, but we don't, we don't know, you know why this sin and not that one, um, we can only cling to his promises, right? This, is, this, this really pushes us to trust that he's merciful toward, to us, okay? So that, that's, this is a really tricky one. Um, but again, it's, 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 it's about, for, for us who believe, it's a push to trust in God's mercy. Make sense so far? Okay. Now, um, that sort of answers this question too. Why, why do some people prosper more than others? Um, how about this one? Seemingly innocent people suffer. So, um, no, that's sort of the same question too there, isn't it? This is the one that, re- that really drives us nuts, right? Why do some believe and not others? Why is it that, um, you know, why is it that, that Jennifer is in this position where she's doing all this research and, and coming to sort of wrestling with things? Why is it that she uh, didn't, didn't decide to give it all up that one time when she was writing a blog and then, and then um, that she didn't publish it, right? Okay. This again, this again falls in the, in the category of the, the hidden will of God. Um, and as with all of these things, we, we have to sort of orient ourselves in terms of what, what God has made clear, what he has told us. And one way we can sort of evaluate it is to look at, uh, to, to ask another question. And I wrote it down here um, at the bottom of the page. What about the crucifixion? Okay. So if we're going to ask the question, um, you know, uh, why, did, uh, why should there be suffering in the world? Why should some people not believe, right? Why should, um, why should wicked people prosper? We also have to ask the question, why should the Son of God die on the cross, right? Okay? Which is, not a, which is often a question we don't, we don't get to. Um, but when we ask that question, we find ourselves asking, how can... A God, how can an all-good, all-powerful, uh, just God suffer evil himself, right? How can he suffer the consequences of sin himself when he's innocent? Um, and the answer, again, the answer to that question is, is found in God's mercy. But, it, but in, a, in a way, it sort of dissolves all these other questions because we find that um, it's God's mercy, which is, the, which is the, the revelation of God for us, right? We can't trust in the things about God that we don't know, right? And we shouldn't look for hope in the things about God that we, that we can't understand. All we can do, and all he wants us to do, is to look for hope in the things that he makes clear to us, the things that he reveals to us, which is his, which is his son, all right? Nancy. The crucifixion itself, though, I mean, for the people at that time, who were Jews anyway, stands in the tradition of an innocent animal, perfect in every way, being sacrificed to make up for their sins. Mm-hmm. So in the Jewish train of thought, this is really, in a sacrificial system, Jesus' death kind of represents, okay, the end of all this, because this is absolutely the most perfect. Right. Good. Okay. So, yeah. So, why after the crucifixion is the world the same? Maybe that's another way to. Why, why haven't things? Why aren't things different now? 
right? Well, they are different in that the sacrificial system is the Jews essentially. Right, but sin still is in the world, right? Right. Okay, and it's it. It's because God's mercy continues, and because in Christ He's delivering Himself uh, th- throughout the whole world, right? So it's no so it's no longer just for Jews. It's no longer for just for those who follow the ceremonies. It's for the whole world. It's for all who believe. It's for the children of Abraham who are children by faith. And in that sense, uh, what God is doing is, is he's, doing, he's doing mission work in the world um, subsequent to the, to the cross of Christ. Right? So after Jesus dies, the question isn't any longer, what about sin? The question is, how are we going to get, how is he going to save all these people he wants to save? Right? How are they going to hear and believe? Now, I suspect that this was m- more confusing than, than illuminating. Uh, uh, do you have any questions? Any, uh, anything you want to pose yet, Krista? Professor, as, as um, older I get, I think God's love is so what you can't really uh, um, understand. Right. In the death of Jesus. Right. And... Uh, um, and I think it's so hard for uh, for somebody who can't believe. That's right, and this is why um, why these kind of questions questions about um, you know questions of theodicy, questions of of evil and suffering and tragedy um, are ultimately a, a huge obstacle for anybody who doesn't know that 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 the crucifixion of Jesus is the key to everything. That the crucifixion of Jesus is the is the, the the pinnacle of history? This is the thing that everything was ten, was leading towards. If you don't have that that key, if you don't have Jesus, then these questions are 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 death blows, right? They're nails in the coffin. Of course, God either God doesn't exist or he's just vengeful, right? That that's all you're left with. And though and and I don't care what you say, that's not a God I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on, right? Okay, so this is why this is why. Um, what you know? Why it was? Why the the whole Old Testament is leading towards this point where Jesus, in the fullness of time, comes God in the flesh, and why afterwards we always point back to the cross. That's where. That's where um, reality is found. Okay. I see a lot of furrowed brows. <laughs> Go ahead, Krista. I, I just only want to say. Uh, the world has a, a, a good picture of the Christian. I, I had a friend, and uh, she always said, not always, but when we just we didn't talk anymore about Christianity because she was, and she said always, um, I'm much better uh, than the Christian while going to church. Sure. Because she, <laughs> she used some Christian, <laughs> yeah. where she was disappointed in. No? Right. So... Um, I think we have a, uh, I don't know, a kind of, uh, uh, that we are watched from the, mm-hmm. from the world. Right. And our neighbors or whatever it is, that um, we, it's sometimes perhaps we are disappointing others this, And this is, a, this is exactly the same kind of objection which can be raised, right? So, well, if you all are so, if you, if you all are righteous, right? Why do you act like the rest of us? Yeah? And, and that's, again, a huge obstacle, right? So our righteousness is not in us, but 
It's in Jesus, right? Again, the, and, and that, it's hard, like you said earlier, it's seeing that is not something that we can, it's not something you can produce on your own, right? Um, it has to be brought to you. It has to be given to you. Um, Lindsay? I think almost in the same way, evil, evil can present itself as something good. Right, exactly. So, so in the same, in this whole, what I took out of this chapter was she met this guy and he was charming and, and likable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the guy just kind of, he made decisions that were completely selfish, but it was because evil was kind of presenting itself as a good choice. Right. And I, I, I kind of like to talk about that, like flush that out, like how do you really decipher it? Right. So, so at, the, at, the very, at the very front, we realizing that, that we, we can't identify, that we're, that we're terrible at identifying good and evil, Right. As just as fallen humans, this is a reality. And for one thing, it's because we believe we're so, we so easy to we so easily believe lies, right? Um, we're easily persuaded. This is the problem in the, in the, the, the that first presents itself in the garden, where where, where um, Eve believes the first lie, and that's sort of the root of of the rest of our troubles. So so how do we discern then uh, the good and the evil? Um, Right. And uh, so, yeah, it's hard to see. Yeah. Well, so we can go back to the to to uh, you know the greatest commandments, right? So, love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I so now that doesn't answer all that doesn't answer all questions clearly, but. Um, Living, living life as a Christian, trying to do what God wants, to, wants you to do, requires constant reorientation, right? Constantly returning back to, to, the, to our basis. Constantly asking ourselves, is this uh, glorifying God? Is this helping my neighbor, right? And now the, the, now, the reason why this is so difficult is because that's exactly the opposite it's, it's not just sort of different than what the world says, but it's exactly the opposite, right? So the world says good is when you can be content, when you are happy, when you can, when you can find happiness for yourself, right? Well, that's not good, right? That God wants that for us. That's good that God gives us, but that's not, those aren't the good things that we do, okay? Nancy? You know, it also seems that there's so many things in this world, just you make a decision and there's a, two sides to the coin, um, I mean, like one of the things, giving foreign aid, oh, you know, it's really good, you want to be helpful, but on the other hand, it makes people dependent. Right. And, you know, and so even when we do things which really have good motives and we, we're trying to do good, so often it has the other side of the coin, which isn't so great. Sure, right. And, and that's, a, that's, I mean, a, it's a huge drag that, that practically we make bad decisions too, right? And, and that, that there, are no per, there are no perfect results. So... Um, you know, we, we experience this all the time. So you, you want to you want to love your kids and do do right by them. But then, if you if you're too merciful, then they become you know ornery. And if you're if you're too harsh, then they hate you. And you know, so, so it's 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 a it's a dilemma. Um, but again, again, it, and we can't. We, this is I think maybe could be the theme for the day. That the 
the life of a Christian is returning always. It's going back. It's going back to the beginning again and again and again. Um, and, go, and going back not just to what God commands us, but also going back to God's promises, right? So that when I fail as a parent or when we fail to, to provide aid for those who need it, um, we know that that's not what determines our value, right? And that God blesses those who trust in him. God will sort it out, right? Absolutely, yeah. That's right. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Let's, let's say the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.